0: and we're live good evening everyone broadcasting live august 11th today we're looking at a small quote on the difference between study and practice and the buddha was said to be Charana sampanno it's um, one of the great qualities of the buddha that he was accomplished both in knowledge and conduct But time and again we see him reminding us that the important the more important aspect of that is contact. And so he says, someone who even knows just a four-line stanza of Dhamma, and if they resolve to live in accordance with it, they can be said to be called Bahu Sutta. Let's see what the Pali is. Bahu Sutto Dhamma Dharu Bahu Dhamma Desita I didn't see it actually
1: <laughs> I was just hoping, just hoping you weren't going to ask me to translate it
0: It's not what he says here. This is, I think, the wrong source. Oh. Here he says, Bahuko uh, bhikkhu mea desita suttam. Oh, here we are. Yeah, it may be that someone has learned a lot of the dhamma. Uh, this means the sutta, the geya, the nine types of dhamma. Sutta, geya, vayakrana, gatha, udana, iti uttaka, jataka, abhuta, dhamma, vedala. These are the nine parts of the teachings. And then he says, or, or but if, tatupadaya, abhiku, abhiku who is known uh Bhikkhu can be a Dhamma nu Bhikkhu who is a Dhamma Nu Dhamma Patipa patipano, one who practices the Dhamma to real for the realization of the Dhamma it means to realize uh, nibbana even if they only only know the four verses, four pāda, or four words might be, no, four, a four-line stanza, right? Hoti bahusutta dhammadharo It's called a bahusutta, one who has learned a lot, and one who carries the dhamma, holds the dhamma. So the key here is Dhamma Dhamma one who practices the Dhamma for the realization of the Dhamma. The Dhamma is of two parts. There is the practice and there is the, the goal or the ultimate truth, you could say. So you're practicing, um, the Dhamma means you're practicing the truth in a way. You're practicing the true path, the right path but it's to realize the Dhamma to realize the truth two different aspects of the Dhamma that's why it's called Dhammanu Dhamma Dhamma for the realization practicing Dhamma for the realization of the Dhamma mm-hmm. the Buddha said that there are five types of people who can call themselves we say Dhamma Vihari ones who people who live by the Dhamma We have One who has studied a lot, one who teaches, who who recites a lot, one who thinks a lot, and one who teaches a lot. And None of these are considered to be living by the Dhamma. He said there are four qualities that you need to be living by the Dhamma. One, you need to... um, not let the days and nights go by. Not diva sangati na medhi. Doesn't waste days and nights. Doesn't waste days. Narinchati patisalanam. Doesn't give up uh, seclusion. Doesn't abandon secluded one's, one's own dwelling, one's seclusion. Doesn't break through and get involved with society. You know? One, one from time to time, takes up seclusion. Anu yun anjatang jeto samatang. Yeah, anu yun anjatang jeto samatang engages in internal quietude samatha tranquility so practice is to tranquilize to calm the mind not to let the mind react and and snowball and make more out of things than they actually are but just experience things as they are and in the moment and uttarincasa atthangpanyaya uttarincasa uh, with wisdom, one comes to understand the higher meaning of the Dhamma. So this one is is quite interesting because it separates meaning into two categories. So there's the lower meaning and there's the higher meaning. The Dhamma that we study, if you understand it. You understand the words and you understand the concepts that are being discussed that's one level of understanding most of us can get that just by when you read this this quote and you think okay i understand what he's saying he's got this view that um, better to practice a little than to learn a lot and not practice but to really understand that even this simple quote is quite different to actually have the understanding with wisdom and to, real, to know that for yourself. Because right now it looks like a view. If you look at it, you think, well, maybe he's right. But once you've practiced, if you really understand and come to the understanding, the higher wisdom which lets you see the, the, the truth. In this case of how practice of one little little thing a little truth small truth the core of the truth the core of the dhamma it allows you to understand everything it allows you to conquer everything to be successful everywhere there's we have this idea that to be successful you have to have wide knowledge you have to know how to react differently in different situations so we think and yeah, there's a different answer to each problem and each problem has its unique uh, solutions but in fact there are some some very core principles that you can adopt i mean take mindfulness for example if you have mindfulness it gives you all the tools you need to solve really any problem any any uh, challenge that may face you in life On the other hand, someone who knows a lot but isn't able to put it into practice is never going to help them. So if you have a lot of theory, you know, the theory, take the theory of public speaking, for example. If you know, you read this book, this book by Dale Carnegie or whatever, and then you get up in front of people and you can't speak because you haven't practiced. You haven't learned. Or you learn, more to the point, you learn how to meditate. You have all these books on how to meditate. We can read the Visuddhi Manga together. And you know how to meditate. But if you have like all these samatha practices that lead to magical powers, I can teach them to you. But they're useless to me. All that, that knowledge is useless. Except to teach you and make you think I'm smart. Because I don't practice them. But someone who practices them and actually remembers past lives and reads people's minds, they're the ones who, the Buddha said, it's like the difference between the cow herd and the owner of the cows. The cow herd can have a thousand cows under his or her care, but they never get to taste the milk. Whereas the person who owns even one cow, they get to taste the milk. So, a simple quote, but uh, important one, very important, it's an important principle in Buddhism. I think many of us are already familiar with this, at least intellectually, but it's an important point that we have to understand. Buddhism isn't about. So if we want to get clearly, get closer to the, the understanding of what is Buddhism, yeah, this is a part of it, understanding that from a Buddhist point of view, knowledge and practice are two very different things, and practice is always to be preferred. You practice according to the truth, it doesn't matter how much of the truth that you know. If you could go back twenty year go back ten years to when you started your Buddhist journey, fifteen years, what advice would you give to your fifteen year younger self? Mm hmm. I don't know, it's a tough one. I don't think I can say. (laughs) It's it's a little bit... um, I guess I would say... uh, It's hard to say because, you know, 15 years ago, I had to learn all those lessons. This is a good example of this quote because... I don't think anything i told myself would have really helped if i went back 15 years man now that would be something if, if this this being here who's you know whatever this thread was suddenly to loop back in but i don't think there's anything i there was there was nothing that i didn't know intellectually 15 years ago i finished my first meditation course and everything was really clear and it or became clear over the course of a few months as I just delved right into Buddhism. The intellectual stuff was easy. It was learning the lessons that I already knew. And much of that came from seeing other people lead by example, watching people do the right thing, watching people do the wrong thing, learning a lot of, I mean, I made terrible mistakes and I could could tell myself, you know, by the way, when you go here, don't do this, because that's going to lead to this. So there's lots of that kind of stuff that I can't really talk about because I shouldn't really talk about because it involves other people. And it's just way too specific. But general advice? I don't know that, if I, that I have any. Suppose if I could go back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to think about that. Past is past you're making my brain hurt any questions any other questions i'll have to think about that one maybe I, maybe i will think of something it's not something i ever thought because it's not really a useful question i mean it's uh, from your point of view actually it's interesting because i don't know what what is what are things that a new new buddhist should know so it's an interesting question in that sense and i don't really think i have an answer to the general idea of what advice i'd give to a young me or to a person like me Um, i don't know that i have any advice because it's a it's a learning process it's not so much about advice Are you meditating right now, like noting things as you speak? How can you do that? Yeah. And I'm not perfect, but yeah, indeed, even when talking, I can be mindful of each word, mindful of emotions, mindful of experiences. How can we reflect on our practice to make sure we're on the right track without having a teacher? My teacher always said, you ask yourself, greed, anger, and delusion. Do I have less of these than before? And if the answer is yes, then you're doing something right. You're doing well. You know that you're on the right path. Your meditation is helping you. I mean, it's difficult. We were talking about earlier the the ads, right? You use it so much that the handle starts to wear away, but you don't know when it happened because it's happening way too slowly. Meditation is a lot like that. It's so gradual. That you could never, and because our minds are not one thing, they're individual states arising and and multiple conflicting states. That uh, you can never look at one instance, like how am I doing right now, and say this is indicative or this is uh, exemplar, e- exemplary. No, I don't know. Exemplifies the or this is. Um, I hmm. don't know the don't remember the word. This is the way I am. You know? uh, because we change a lot, we can be perfectly calm and then suddenly erupt. So, a lot of people ask this question. Question, and i think it's not that useful of a question it's not one we should be asking nearly as much as people want to ask it you have to decide for yourself whether you're on the right path and that has a little bit that has less to do with results than you'd think because as i said results are difficult you you first of all you without a mirror you can't see yourself um so without wisdom, it's hard to see your own mind. And the results are so subtle, and it's hard to tell what is the cause of what. So then the question is, well, then it's just, it sounds like it's just about faith, but it's not. There's one, there's something else that you can use as an indication, and that's the momentary result. You can see in one moment what the meditation is doing to change that experience. You can see the relief, the peace, the freedom, the clarity in that moment. And that is what we should focus on. That should be enough. That is where our mind should be centered on that clarity right now. Because when the question of results comes up, it's very much to do with Um, doubt, maybe greed as well, Uh, worry, fear, this desire to know how you're doing, ego. It's not really wholesome. So it's, it's, it's important for the things we do to have an effect, to be beneficial. And if meditation were useless and didn't change us, that would be you know, that's something that we have to. That that's an important aspect of it, obviously. But asking ourselves this question: Have I? Is this helping me? Can be very problematic. And it's a shock to hear that I think, because you think, well, then how? You know, I'm not just going to follow this out of faith. But you're no, you're not going to follow it out of faith. You're going to follow it based on the the what you shouldn't be content with, and that's the momentary result. And if you wanted to intellectually extrapolate, you could say, there's no question that these moments of clarity are going to help me in my life. That should be enough. That's where you should find contentment and not worry about, does it actually pan out? Because that should be enough. That should be intellectually even enough for you to reasonably say, this is helpful for me without having to worry about if it's actually helping you. Because in that moment, it's there's a change that mind is better than the alternative mind if i hadn't been mindful categorically better uh, objectively better Mm, no question better and so we, we understand that our habits are formed by the mind states that we give rise to so we don't worry about our habits let them form as they will start do do the, do the work, and the habits will form accordingly. Would you please talk about see pain without get suffering from pain? Well, pay, right, pain and suffering. I mean, pain is a type of suffering. It's physical suffering. But physical suffering and mental suffering are two different things. You don't have to suffer mentally from physical pain so that's what how we understand or that's the understanding we draw upon in buddhism our uh, our practice of insight meditation is to see the pain as just pain because there's there's nothing unpleasant necessarily about the pain we can experience pain and just be happy be at peace if we learn how to just see it as pain and not as bad or as a problem so the way we do this is to remind ourselves this is only pain we say to ourselves pain 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 and if you do it right if you're clear in the mind you can be free from any suffering in regards to the pain that's momentary the habit that forms is as a result you become less inclined to react to the pain so more inclined to just experience pain as pain i think indicative was the word i was looking for robin are you I was i was going to get you to ask these questions right
1: sure What can we do when we feel our teacher is criticizing more than he or she is teaching?
0: I mean, there's nothing wrong with criticism. It's good when it comes from a teacher. I wouldn't worry so much about whether a person is criticizing you. As to whether they're helping you you know so criticism can be quite useful if you especially if you don't like it so you have to ask is the criticism helping you, you know, it's not it doesn't help you if you don't take it if you get angry about it it certainly doesn't let's suppose you know something about yourself I know I've got this problem, and your teacher keeps criticizing you about it anyway. And so it doesn't help you in any way, and you don't get upset when they say it. You just think, well, why are they telling me something I already know? What benefit is it? Then you could say, "Mm, well, that's not really beneficial. So then you see that your teacher has a flaw. And that's okay. I mean, teachers are not perfect, but you have to then, that's a, a mark against that teacher. You wouldn't want a teacher who never criticized you that's dangerous a teacher who always flatters you
1: is it typical for buddhist teachers to be very critical
0: mm-hmm. i don't know it's hard to be very it's hard to be well critical you know, it's hard not to because it's easy to criticize people that we can all everyone's a critic but it's hard to do it in such a way that the person can take it and actually benefits from it. My teacher is not very critical, but when but he is incredibly critical at the at the right point. I mean, everyone thinks oh he's so nice and so kind, but then they'll get hit by something, and you know, then he he gets you. And you think, mm, hard to take, but he's very good at it. I mean, a good teacher is good at that.
1: Read some stories about the old Zen masters, and some of them seemed very, um, very critical and harsh, maybe, for somebody that didn't understand what was going on there.
0: You know, as I said, I don't think a teacher should be terribly involved with their students, and I think Zen has a different idea. They are very involved with their students, but. Um, I don't want to give the idea that a teacher should be picking, nitpicking the faults of their students. Anyway, as I said, I think you should ask yourself whether it's the, your teacher is benefiting you because there are different teaching styles. So is it helping you as a person? Are you seeing things about yourself that you didn't see before or is it just wasting your time Then, yeah
1: i think this is a follow-up question to the question on pain um i feel suffering from time to time focus on pain suffering just as a raw sensation it's
0: just a sensation it's just pain
1: Depending on the sitting posture, with a cushion and without, I have observed a difference in the pain I feel during meditation. How does this affect the practice? It
0: can affect, I mean, ultimately, not not at all. But for a beginner meditator, it can greatly affect the practice, either for good or for bad being too comfortable for some people that's a problem being too uncomfortable for some people that's a problem for beginners you no know, eventually you can get it either way you become more comfortable with discomfort or comfort and so you can do the same meditation lying down as you could standing on one foot or in doing any any in any posture So in the beginning, the difference is just that some people can't take too much pain and they find it just leads to distraction and and, uh, anger, upset. And some people find that when they're too comfortable, they fall asleep or they indulge and they, they start daydreaming or so on. They can't stay alert. Another part of that is having to sit on a cushion. One of my friends in Bangkok, a monk who teaches at Wat Mahatad, yeah. Um, he's he was we were talking just chatting about Western meditators, and he said people in the West don't know don't know how to meditate, and meditators in the West they don't have a clue. I go there and I see them on these cushions like this high, and everyone's just concerned about getting the right. Cushion, and they've, it's become a real market. Getting these croissant-shaped cushions and the, do, the donut-shaped cushions, and and they've got names for them, and 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 then they've got the benches and the benches that fold. And I, I you know, I, I've got I know what he's talking about because we didn't have any of that, and 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 uh, it is kind of a whole other approach to things. Because when I started practicing, they gave us this. Thin piece of cloth, and said, "Well, if you, if it hurts at first, you can put some blankets under your, under your knees, <laughs> which I did, and you could sit higher. You know, sitting a little bit higher with your butt a little bit higher is, is helpful in the beginning. So we did that as well. You know, we were trying to find all sorts of ways of making it comfortable in the beginning, but we got into it, you know, and we we pushed forward and and experienced a lot of pain, but didn't let it overpower us and just experienced it because it wasn't harmful pain it was just the growing pains the pains of learning to let your legs spread stretch and and eventually your knees go down and they touch the floor and then you're sitting fine i could sit on a wooden floor fine you know we, we do sitting sometimes with just a piece of cloth on a wooden floor there are monks who would sit sleep with cement pillows that kind of thing you know
1: I started out making myself really comfortable because I didn't want to um, get discouraged and not form the habit of meditation. But then once I was re- regular with my habit, I've kind of pared down. I can sit on the bare floor now and meditate for an hour.
0: I think it's a little bit, it's good to have a little bit of height. I don't usually, I usually just sit on the floor. That's it. But um, it has a lot more use in samatha meditation where the idea is to attain a very powerful state of mind and and fixed so you can be unmoving and that takes a lot of uh, physical training Well there was uh, so what i used to say to people is uh, it's fine you can start high start meditating high but the idea is to get lower as you go along, not get higher. And that's how you can gauge it. Because some meditators, they'll start on the cushion and then... The, the the reason for having the cushion is to avoid the pain. So when the pain comes, they go to a higher cushion. And then when the... So they're actually cultivating aversion. And they get more and more averse to less and less pain until they might as well just be sitting on a chair. And then even in the chair is not enough, so they have to lie down. and Then they just go to sleep and forget about meditating. All right, then. Let's quit while we're ahead. 9.30. so another half an hour, so that's enough, right? Thank you all for tuning in. See you all tomorrow. Thank Thanks you, Bhante.
1: Thank you, Bante. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Good night.